Uh, hello, this is Being Modern, Being Human, a podcast about contemporary society. Today, I'm joined by Hida Morsing, a NASA researcher with the Luna Exploration Program, Artemis. And we will talk about space exploration, why we need space and how we can benefit from it. Thank you for joining me today, Hida. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And my first question to you is, what does it take to be a space scientist and a space explorer? What kind of mindset is that? Well, first of all, the right approach for it is like, are we think within the box or outside the box? So we have to think all the time outside the box because there are things in space and I mean it. There are things in space is beyond the physics and science law that we know it on earth. Let's take an example. So we have, for example, Mars and people think Mars is like just a, a you know, a red desert, for example, like this year. But the thing is we have a couple of event, incidents happen, like people, like a couple of last year, even a couple of weeks ago, it's happened. They thought there are news, like there, there is rainbows on Mars. And at that moment, they said, it's impossible. By the law of physics, it's impossible. They need H2O there, water. But yeah, it's impossible. In our aspect, it's impossible. But that planet is a different environment, different gravity, different structure, not like the human life structure. So everything possible. That's why, for example, we take this one as an example. It's happened, for example, but not by our law of physics. So we have to think beyond that. We are talking about not the quantum physics, the beyond of quantum physics. We have to think even beyond that because there are things in space. And I witnessed it myself. We were like, just look and we try to find any logical reason for what we are watching like at that moment. And I said like, okay, we have to back to to be back in the box and open it again from the beginning to understand what's going on there. Because by the law of physics, by the whole all math that we know, stop working on that thing. Just for example. So we have to think all the time beyond, like not as a, you know, in a lower mode, no, in a, the whole wide range mode, because everything possible in space. That's very interesting. I think that is the reason why people become scientists and researchers, because it's so exciting to deal with that every day with these mysteries of nature or space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there are things that amazing happening in space, even as we speak right, right now, just a couple minutes ago. Before I come here to this station right now, we witnessed something in space, in deep space, just close to Jupiter. We just witnessed something and it's beyond the law of physics that we know it. <laughs> it's a huge magnetic storm that happened right now in space, but we, it's beyond the, the way, you know, how we people study it. So the structure of our, it's like people where they ask us, for example, and this is, you know, all the questions they have all the time. Uh, doctor, are we the only one in the universe? 
or they are aliens or something. And I answer with this all the time, the same answer. I tell them, guys, the concept of aliens is based on how you think it is. We need an oxygen. We need eggs. Yeah. But on Mars, we are the aliens. On the moon, we are the aliens. For other plants, we are the aliens. So why do I think this way? And after that, everyone, yeah, okay, that's logical. So they were like, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. The perspective you take on things is everything. <laughs> and what are we looking for in space? Why do we need space exploration at all? How can humanity benefit from it on Earth? We have, for example, the R&D technology. And we also witness a lot of situation in space, for example, which help us out here, even in medicine and with technology, like based on theory and so on based to practical parts. Let's take an example, for example, we didn't go, we didn't go back to the moon since the seventies, you know, since Apollo's program and other programs, which is, which is our classified, but still, for example, we need that moon dust. That moon dust which help us out with the type of technology here on Earth. Because, you know, the one of the structure of the moon dust, it's a high level of lithium inside. So imagine, now, all your mobile phones, your computers, your batteries is lithium. We got a planet up there with the whole lithium on it. So basically, this is one of the things for the future, plus for the health, plus for us to discover what really is going on there. Like, okay. for example, let's talk to the nearest planet, the moon. Okay. Everyone is talking about the dark side of the moon and there are a lot of sci-fi sci movies about it and a lot of complications, but they don't know that the dark side of the moon is actually a term. So there's no dark side of the moon. But is there possible there is a corner side of the moon? One corner, see, yeah, that one is dark because of the, you know, this, the rotation of the orbit on Earth. But at this point, we are just people possible in the movies, sci-fi movies and about the technology and everything based on, let's put it this way, the stories are based on a theory which based on a real stories. So we need medicines, we need technology. We need to discover what's really going on there. Is it possible for us to live in a space as humans, not like as a one-way ticket, you know, or is it possible for us to be, you know, to be on the, on the, on Mars, like in next two years, but first we need to be on the moon first, because that's what's the base of the Artemis. The Artemis would be a substation. We can send the people to Artemis the base, and from there, they can move to Mars. There's no direct fly. Okay. You know, that is the concept. So we are like, we are basically preparing for bases or separating bases. And from there, we are moving to another stations. So we need to discover because there are things, for example, it's out of the periodic tables. For example, one of the material we discovered like 12 years ago, one of the asteroids. It was like materials not even existed in the material, the periodic tables, not there, but is more strong 
than the platinum and more soft than the jelly. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it's soft like a liquid, but it's so strong more than the platinum. It's the most strongest, you know, element on earth right now, but it's more stronger than that. But we don't know what is it because it doesn't exist in the periodic table, but we added right now, we did last year, we added, we put this code for it. And so, one of the examples. can we figure out how we can use it? For example, there's a lot of stuff we can use it in medical equipment, especially with the medical surgical machines, like the surgical equipment, we need such material, very sharp, very, but so flexible to go inside the body. You know, we can use it for shear layers. Like for example, one of the vessels we are using right now, the same technology for the shear layers. So it's very soft, easy to handle, but so strong, it's so protective. And other services as well. There are many things, it, it depends where you put it. Where do you put it, you can use it. Great. I now want to go back in history and talk about the stages of space exploration since the first man in space and the first man on the moon. What has happened over these decades and where are we at now? The question is in, in which part as the man, you know, the history of humans on, in space or as we are technological term. It's more about the development of technology and what our resources are today. What can we do and what we can do at this point in time? Since the sixties, when the program started and the, of course, NASA was start and the Soviet Union at that time, we both start like in the program space program challenge, but now as a mankind. There are more than nine nations up there in space, saving the whole humanity. So we reach an advanced level, to be honest, like from the, from the basic vessels, you know, unsafety vessels, deeper, like more possible. We can send probes in space. We will discover more deeper, like what we launched like a couple months ago, the, you know, the web space. So we find it, we will send it deeper to the, to, to know what was going on in the other, other part of the galaxy, you know, other part of the universe. We are, if you, do you know where we are in the universe? Basically imagine the universe is the whole plate. Yeah. The whole plate thing, but we are at the corner of the, one of the side of the plate. We are not even in the center of the plate. The Milky Way is not in the center of the universe. It's actually in the corner side of the universe. So still we are not in the center of the universe. We don't know what's going on there because it's a circle thing. It's moving. It's an orbit. We have, we not, we're not staying in one's position. The earth is orbiting around the sun, the sun orbiting around itself. The whole Milky Way is orbiting around itself and it's orbiting around the universe. So we keep moving in the corner, in the corner shape around the universe, but we try to reach what is inside. So during the last 35, 40, 50 years, since the fifties 
and research and how technological advanced we reach right now and I'm still working on it. We are hoping that we will not need, we will not need even more, some of the machines and equipments uh, we are using like 10 years ago. No, we will, you know, just change it with other things in space. So we're already crossed the line of turning back. It's like we already crossed that line. We are go deeper now. <laughs> Hopefully we will find something exciting <laughs> in the center of the universe. As you mentioned, the moon is a platform to move further. The Artemis program aims to establish a sustainable human presence on the moon by 2024. What will this presence look like and what do we need on the technical side? Do we have this equipment and all technologies now? In the term of uh, the technical side, there are many, you know, corners of this, many points of this technical side. First, we will have a problem of logistics because, you know, the, the astronauts who are going to stay there for, for a while, they need life support stuff. So we will have to, you know. The first thing is the logistic. The second thing in the technical is the fusion reactors, because you know, they we need the life support there. And the life support is only worked by the fusion reactors on the moon. And the fusion reactors are just coming usually in the ground. And there is a reaction that to create life, sustainable life, but it's a close, like a dome thing in the moon. So this is one of the. The two were, you know, most supported by the logistic part and the future reactors. And as the third part, since like the, you know, since the fifties and the sixties, we are working on many programs about, you know, food program for, you know, for astronauts in space and all European Union and all the nations are trying to figure out the easy way to make a sustainable, you know, life support and not depends on earth. We're still working on that part, but we will reach to a point that maybe we don't need the support from earth anymore. I hope so, but still logistic is number one in the term of technical side. Reactors number two, and we have number three is a life support system because this is not International Space Station. This is a different planet. They're going to stay in different planets. A, di a planet that there's no shield, no ozone layer like, uh, like Earth. It's not protected. So all the asteroids and big rocks are coming through easy. Will not be destroyed like we, we have it on Earth. We have a shield, ozone layers. But there on the moon, there's nothing. It's just like an empty space, but the gravitational field is also different. The gravity power, the G-force, all, everything, all the costs are different there. All this is part of the technical aspect to create the life support there. We have the tech, we're still working on some other details. I don't want to go through it for now, but in 2024, we're going to reach this point and they are ready to go for Artemis. After the moon, the next stage will be Mars. There is a rover there, Curiosity, that has been on the surface of Mars for 10 years now. What have we learned with its help about the red planet? 
Well, the main question is, is it possible that the red planet is supporting life like for, for mankind? Well, the question is, is like 40% yes, still. But if we go deeper underground, it's possible because there are an evidence of frozen water, frozen lakes, and that's the amazing things. So, but we're still working on it. Other than that, the environment of the red planet is not good for the, you know, for the vegetarian parts, you know, for the life support, but it's good for other things, including, including a new kind possible, a new kind of living things, like living planets that doesn't need a CO2 as a life support, which is, as I said, is we are talking now based on, you think, as you think now, based on the law of physics and biology. But as I said, when you cross the stratosphere of our planet Earth, some of the things gonna change. So possible we will find another way to support life there, not like we support it on planet Earth. The red planet just has its rich. It's rich with minerals, rich with other stuff that's really interesting for us to be there. And it supports life like for 40%. Like this is according to the studies and re research that we've done. It's like 40% is okay, but still it's lethal for a, for a mankind. And I mean 40% with the life support system. But without it, it's impossible. It's a lethal dose for mankind. Maximum three seconds. And that's it. So the same as the moon. The moon is maximum like 1.8 second, and that's it. You know, that's why people ask this question, which it's a regular question. Why do you guys come back to the moon? It's not because we don't want to go back to the moon though, but we still want to go back to sustain something there to stay there. But the thing is, is danger without a life support. The maximum is 1.8 to 1.9.12 microseconds. And basically everything inside you're going to blow up. As you know, without oxygen, you can hold it to one, one minute or so, but it's also not only that. The pressure is different and everything is different. Your organs cannot hold without protection. That is also for us a big question and we are working on it. So when uh, a human landing will be possible on, on Mars, what's your estimate? Well, to be honest, we have first Artemis is going to go and we will have a leap of faith that everything is going to be well. The next stage is going to be for Mars. Of course, uh, where we, it depends on what's happened with other projects as well. But the main thing, the main course of it is as soon as we have the base on the moon, we are going ahead to Mars. That's for sure. hundred percent. We will not, you know, not going to stay on the moon and that's it. No, we're going to move to Mars at the next stage because it's more closer. You know, if you go away, like from earth to Mars, it's a long distance. 
and I mean like months. But when you move from the moon and you have already a crew ready to move to Mars, possible back and forth to substation on the moon, at that moment, it will be easy for us to send even a crew from Earth to moon to settle. And other, moon, other crew can go back, move forward to Mars, and the previous crew can go back to moon and back to Earth. It's like, as I said before, logistic program. We have this already planned and we are working on it. So within a couple of years, there will be a big news on the, you know, things going to change. I look forward to that. <laughs> what about commercial flights into space? Now that industry is still at the beginning of its development, but are we going to see commercial flights that are quite cheap and say upper middle class can afford it? Will it be possible one day? Within a couple of years, yes. Middle class can afford commercial flights. Now, yes, now it's expensive. But in the couple of years, it's going to change because we'll have the technology even to go on back. And with some new, you know, vessels and we have, we, with the new also space vehicles we have, we try to launch some new programs as well. So possible if it's works, we will have a successful zero G trip to the edge of the, you know, space, because basically it's not only if we go more in technical term, they are not going to the deep space. It's actually, they are going to the, you know, the lower orbits of earth. Yeah. There is no gravity. But they are on the range of the inertial space station, even lower than that. But they're in the range of the satellites and everything of the network. So, but they're losing gravity. They will see the space as it, you know, but they were not ready to go deeper because, you know, to go deeper in space is a different thing. You need to prepare yourself in a matter of health and, you know, all the preparation as suits and everything and what you need to do, technical part, your, your, your flight, your, you know, your, your vessel, your, you know, your vehicle should be ready to go in deep space uh, to avoid any radiation in space. So now the commercial flights is going to it's a lower orbit flights. So just basically go in the lower orbit of earth, but it's good. Can enjoy it. In a couple of years, can it be affordable? even, you know, to the middle class and easily can just like a normal ticket just to go flying back for, you know, for 12 or 18 hours and back around earth. It's possible, but it depends also, say, you know, it depends not only from the commercial companies, it's the policies, the protocols and everything, you know, if they will find that as like a core network for all the protocols to activate all at once. So possible all mankind will see the space from different perspectives. That will be an amazing time. By the way, you mentioned health requirements for these commercial flights. How healthy should a person be to go into space? In case of the commercial flights, it's like you're going in a plane. Basically, you know, you fly, for example, from us to canada you don't have to worry you know to worry about anything unless you're pregnant for example but in general thing you're going in commercial flights yeah there's like a you know 
your blood pressure, your heart, if you have any heart problems, any, you know, uh, ENT issues, you know, any pressure or any blood problems, we can test that. The, but the main thing is going to happen, the commercial flights, and this is one of the things that we are pointing right now, the commercial, the future commercial flights up now, because now the, you know, the things are not ready to go without, you know, health check. But I hope the future will be different. It's like you're just, you know, riding a, in a plane and that's it. You're sitting in a plane and just go to space and come back and that's it. But if, when we go to deep space, deep space is a lot different story. Here you have to be a fully hundred percent healthy. If you have any problem and I'm, for example, let's talk about sinuses. If you have a sinuses problem, you know, your life in space is going to be a disaster because your sinuses is actually affecting your blood pressure, the head pressure. So you will have migraines, headaches, especially if there's no gravity. And if there is a solar flare of the sun, you know, the solar flare, you know, the wave of suns, and if it's happens solar flare, you, your head is going to be, you know, you start yelling from the pain. It's so strong. It, so this is, for example, if you have a sinuses, we figure out how to treat the sinuses, but still, if you have, for example, chronic sinuses, now, if you have a chronic sinus in this case, it's impossible right? It's a chronic thing. So to go into space as a tour is okay. As a trip for a couple of days, like 18 hours, 20 hours, that's fine. But if you go deeper than that and you start to go for six month cycle, no, it's going to be a disaster. And eventually they will send you back to earth. Let's see uh, what happens with commercial flights and how many people will go. <laughs> now I would like to talk about the prospects of space exploration. As you mentioned, several countries have uh, space programs and actually space exploration is often an international effort. With the pandemic, I think that has been abstracted. So how has the COVID pandemic uh, impacted the space exploration? Now we are back to normal, but the, the, the impact, the side effect of the pandemic during the time of the lockdown, during the time of the lockdown, we all work from home. Some of them, unless we have an emergencies, we have to be in the lab. And because at the first stage, the first months, we didn't know the cure or there is no any vaccine for the COVID, to be honest. So it was a disaster. So we don't know, like if you get infected, you get heal or not, we don't know. So it was an impact, but it, there was some delay in some projects. There was, there was some delay in some launching, but everything back to normal right now. Yeah. The delays is a side effect as scientists, for example, during the first year of the lockdown, like 2020, we have project and I supposed to be in the lab just two days before the lockdown. It, I was a different city. I was in New York. And the lockdown started first thing in the East Coast, in New York. Of course, what I am one of the essential personnel, I can move easy, but I couldn't move out because at that, that moment, everyone was in lockdown for 24 hours. So the whole procedure was delayed for 24 hours. We miss a window in space 
because we calculate everything according to the space movement, the orbit of Earth, you know? So we lose this window, and this window was just basically, we delay one day, and this delay causes six months to wait for the next window to do the same test. So, yeah, it was a bit impact-based on the timing because our work is not like you know, people on work in biology or engineering or something like in the normal life. Our work is based on technology and quantum physics and, you know, the windows in space for us to do the, the experiments. So this what happened. There was some delay and the impact. As a financial part, I can't go and deep that because I'm not good in finance. I'm more good in science. Absolutely. Wonderful. And my last question for you today is the one I ask all my guests. This podcast is titled Being Modern, Being Human. So what does being modern and being human mean to you at this point in time? For me, as a person or as a scientist? Both. <laughs> Both. Well, to be modern and to be human is to accept all possibilities. Open your mind for all possibilities. Don't reject any idea. Accept everyone as it is, you know? I mean, now with the modern life, everyone is busy with to be how the people will see them in front of the public, how, you know, they are famous, for example, or they are doing the YouTubers or in general, in general, everything. But when you just, and because I'm also, you know, I'm teaching a lot at university. So when you start, for example, if you change this idea, it will be better. They felt that it's a bit like, well, I did not ask your opinion, for example, or something, but you just give an idea, but if you accept it, you'll be more than more humanity, you know, just you're, you're, you're a human, you accept everything. You accept the challenge. You accept what things are outside the box. And to be more human is to be more positive. This is the most important part, I, which I learned during my life in, in the field for almost now 14 years. I figured out it's what, there is only one, one life, not two, not two life. But if you are feeling regret with everything and you are upset with everything, or you are still thinking and overthinking, over overthinking, this is not going to work. Just be positive. What happened, happened. Just let it go. It's already part of your history, not part of your destiny. By this part, you will be a human. These are great words. Thank you, Hida. Thank you so much for being my guest today. And let's live our lives to the fullest. Thank you. Thank you. The next episode will come out in two weeks. And in the meantime, I wish you a great time. And if you enjoy this podcast, feel free to leave a comment or review on your preferred platform. And also drop me a line if you want to suggest a speaker for our next episodes. Bye for now.